The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. This is Carrie Charles, your host, and we have a wonderful episode for you today. We have Claudia Chan, who is a culture change expert and global leadership speaker. She is the creator of the award-winning She Summit. She's also a New York Times celebrated author of the book, This Is How We Rise, and a UN Women Champion of Innovation. So her company, She Global, offers powerful learning and coaching experiences that pull leaders and organizations toward their highest vision of social, business, and talent innovation. Since 2012, over 400 corporations have put their people through their programs to elevate purpose, inclusion, and well-being in the workplace. Companies including Google, Samsung, Konica Minolta, ESPN, Morgan Stanley, American Express, Bacardi, PepsiCo, and more. Claudia, welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I know everyone is dying to hear what you have to say. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Claudia, how did you get into this world? Tell me about your story. I have been an entrepreneur for 23 years to be exact, because I just counted the other day. And I'm from New York City originally. I've just always had such a passion for people and connection. And I just knew that I wanted to build businesses in the people space. And I'm also a person of faith, and or I became a person of faith too, which also really deepened that connection to humanity and just how extraordinary human beings are and the possibility and potential inside people when we really get to know them. Yes, I agree with you. Couldn't agree more. Claudia, I know that you had this incredible event, the She Summit. And I want to talk a little bit about diversity when it comes specifically to women in tech, because in technology, in telecom, it's a male-dominated industry. And companies are desperate for strategies and ideas around attracting, engaging, and retaining women. From your perspective, what can we do differently to help bring more women to companies and promote them to leadership roles? Yes, building on that first question that you asked me about my journey, I had gone to an all-women's college and an all-women's high school. And my mother was also very, I'm a Chinese-American and typical immigrant story where they came to America with very little and ended up starting, starting their first Chinese restaurant. She always raised me and said, to own your independence, Claudia, you have to own your own business. My journey was unintentionally very rooted in the women's space, having the all-girls education and having such a strong mother. And I just didn't even realize that women were not equal and had equity. Like equity to me is having an equal starting point. Do all women have the same opportunities to start at, at the beginning? Right. And equality right. is really the end. It's really the end goal, which is, okay, do we have equality in these roles, right? Do, 
are we at a 50-50 versus equity? All the women in the room have the same opportunities to advance and to get to that next level as the men do. I grew up in a world in a way that didn't even realize that women didn't have those equitable opportunities. And once learning, studying at Smith College, at a well women's college, and starting to enter the workforce, I was just blown away by the statistics. And that I remember years ago, it was 3% of Fortune 500 CEOs were women, 70 cents of the man's dollar. And just even globally, like women do 70% of the world's work and own 2% of the world's real. This was, these were stats about 10 years ago. And we really haven't, sadly, we have not gone, gotten much better. Fundamentally, over the last decade, starting the She Summit Conference, wanting to create empowerment opportunities to expose women to role models and stories, because you cannot be what you cannot see. I really noticed the difference. It's one thing to empower women, but you also have to change the culture that the women are working in. And those are two separate things. What type of culture do women thrive in? The women's movement, I would say the book Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg, really the mainstream conversation around women in the workplace, gender equity in the workplace for women. I feel like that conversation was really refueled about 10 years ago when Sheryl Sandberg wrote Lean In. But prior to that, like Xerox started the first women's employee resource group in 1968. Women's groups were like the first solution at companies. Oh, let's start a women's network. Great. And you're approaching a very successful senior titled woman, maybe a VP or an SVP, right? There are a few of those. And hey, Susan, hey, Carrie, can you be the head of our women's ERG? Meanwhile, it's additional labor, additional work and unpaid. And there's barely any budget and resources. And really historically for decades, this is what was happening in organizations. And of course, company reputations and corporate bios are saying that we strongly support women. We have a women's group, right? Like right. We're so long. we've got women in the same room talking to women about the same problems. And we're also not speaking to the dominant groups that actually really have those influence to change the culture. So I think one is to realize it's a double parallel effort. You need to empower and equip women with tools and opportunities that they can be in the room also to have those opportunities. But at the same time, you also have to make sure the culture, who's creating the culture? It's the managers, it's the leaders, it's the head of the divisions. It's a 360 strategy on what are our corporate values, our culture values that we're not only going to put on the wall, but we're also going to walk that talk. And at the same time, it's making sure those programs are also there to lift women. Diversity, obviously, is more than just bringing in more women. Where are we with diversity and inclusion in general in our workforce today? It's interesting because I still feel that many people don't really understand what diversity means. And I think it is one of those sometimes think diversity and inclusion is its worst enemy because of Women were the largest underrepresented group. That's why within diversity and inclusion initiatives, women are the largest, like first category typically that gets started in terms of initiatives and programs. But then the second, the other dimensions of diversity you'll see at a lot of organizations will be what are the other underrepresented groups? It could be people of color or the African-American community or Latina communities. It could be veterans, abilities or disability. It could be LGBTQ. But those are, again, another dimension of diversity. There's also many other dimensions. It could be socioeconomic. It could be generational. And I like to think of diversity city of story, right? Because you could take two white individuals and two black individuals, and they could have completely different stories of what their challenges and invisible barriers are. 
But there's the sort of generic definition of diversity and inclusion, which now, by the way, is changed. It's evolved into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, DEIB. And we can also dive into that a little bit more and what those differences are. What I said earlier about companies are all figuring out what does diversity, equity, inclusion, what do these words mean at our company that is unique to our company and the story and the heritage of our company. Maybe it's like who founded the company or where are we located and what kind of industry are we in and what kind of people do we attract and what type of people, for example, if you are tech and telecom, it's a very male dominated industry. Like how do you create more pathways for women and other diversities to come in? It's unique to every organization and you really need to define what do those words mean to you? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. We are living in this new world of work and it's confusing to a lot of leaders as we navigate this and say, okay, who do we need to be over here and what can we do? What can't we do? But in your view, how have things changed in the last three years? Back to the very beginning question and the 20 something years of work I've been doing and creating experiences and platforms that elevate the human experience and the human experience of work. And when we think about, and I know your work, Carrie, like talent in the global workplace, right? In these specific industries, I feel that the journey has very much been, I feel like diversity, inclusion, women, all these conversations, all these topics were really big over the last decade. But then once COVID hit, it really, in a way, the word like humanizing work because flexibility happened. All of a sudden, Everybody got permission to work from home. Many people did or in hybrid settings. And we really proved to big corporations and employers that, hey, we can be just as productive, if not even more productive working from home. And I know that depending on the industry you're in, some consultants, right? Some people might have had a lot of work from home, but we, but really what COVID overnight did for people in the workplace, what the disabilities movement has been trying to do for decades. I know that I know a lot of folks in that disability category and mental health and how it really impacts people at work and how, but they were required to still come into, into the office. COVID did pretty immediately. We learned a lot over the years. And I believe that the conversations now, even though there's this new benefit of being able to see your family more and take care of personal matters more because you get to work from home, the challenge then is productivity. And talent engagement, team engagement, connection. That's in my work in corporate culture. That's what I hear the biggest challenges to be is how do we create that connection, that community, that engagement? That's really hard, especially with the younger generations. And right now, what I see happening, also we came off the great resignation, right? So that happened. Like what were the movements? So it was like, lean in about women. It was Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and race was a massive conversation in the workplace. And then COVID happens. And now it's like great resignation. That's the new movement. And then we see, we hear about quiet quitting, but then now the economy is where it is. Inflation's really high. Tech companies are letting go of a lot of people. So now we're in quiet firing. And I feel like we're in this moment of time where it's such a, we can look at it as terrifying or we could look at it as a, just such a ground for innovation and for companies to do things the right, to build that solid foundation the right way, which is really about humanizing work. How do you balance humanity with productivity? How do you balance and create a culture that is efficient, but also has high levels of empathy? And that is what I believe 
will create the future for the most successful companies. Everything you said, I love. Humanizing work. We have, as leaders, through this experience of COVID and the experience of remote work, and I have so many clients that are saying, I want to get people back in the office, and they're having a hard time. And also the candidates that we talk to on a daily basis, they don't want to come back in the office. They want to remain remote. So there's conflict happening today. And the leaders need to still perform and produce results and have a high-performing team. How does a leader... How do they still drive those results and hold people accountable and still humanize work and make sure they check all of the boxes in that empathy area, right? Yes. And especially even we talked about your first, one of your early questions was like, how do we rehire that diversity and retain them? Or even forget about diversity, just talent. How do we hire the best and retain the best? Yeah, it's about getting those candidates, but your culture has to be a place. And more and more, especially post-COVID, People want to really understand your culture and the culture I'm getting into because, hey, I am a dad and we just had our second or third kid and my wife wants to move or and where you have that mid-level career woman whose daughters are going to be teenagers soon and they're dealing with a lot more emotional labor and stress, not to mention mental health. The Surgeon General of our country just announced for the first time that his number one concern is mental health, the mental health crisis, and especially in the workplace. He's created a framework for companies to practice mental health and well-being. It's really more and more companies and organizations have to, I always say companies are micro societies of humanity. You're like a little city. So if you're 50 people or 500 people or 5,000 people, you're running your own city, your own little country. You're responsible for the humanity within that body of humanity of people. Back to what you're saying is, and historically business was not created, right? Business was created to be a business and it wasn't created to prioritize your family and your home, even though that was more secondary, right? So now we need to integrate it all. I feel that the best companies that I see have, they're really, really clear on their culture. And when somebody says to me, oh, does this company have a good culture? And I'll say, how many managers do they have? And I'll tell you how many cultures they have. So if your company has, I don't care if you manage one person or you manage five people, managers create the subcultures within an organization. A lot of times companies might say, okay, we're going to be a culture that is respectful, that prioritizes our customers, but also checks in with our people. We're going to be outstanding in our, we're going to be entrepreneurial. You can have all these words on the wall, but unfortunately there's a huge gap between what you think your culture is and what is actually felt and experienced. You want to create a culture where the experience, what is felt actually matches what is said and what the copy is. Culture's got to eventually match the copy. And so you've got to get those sub, those managers practicing those things. And I think how managers want to practice and create those cultures can be very entrepreneurial, but that's really where the work is. And I think that the dads and the moms at my school, they're all struggling. They manage teams. And I have these conversations with them. They're like, Claudia, I'm really struggling with managing my people and getting productivity out of them. And we need to bring in learning, development, and training And that will help build those skills, those more soft skills, if you will. But we also really need passionate leaders at the top who's walking that talk, who's holding regular town hall meetings, who is inspirational. We live in Tampa Bay, right? Like how amazing is the culture in the city? And why is it? Like you feel the leadership in the city that we really re-energize the leadership of the people. 
So a question, you work with so many companies on a daily basis, and you just said some companies that are really doing this right do X. So I'm just curious about this. You'd mentioned keeping your remote teams, because again, people are still pushing for remote, and I don't think they're going to give up on this. They want hybrid, they want remote. What are some ways that you're seeing that, that your clients are succeeding in keeping their remote workforce engaged and accountable? I think the ones that are really successful are where you can actually be highly efficient. You're super clear on this is my role. This is my contribution to my job. And you really understand too, like you're involved, you understand the vision of the leadership. This is the leader. He's the head of our city. And this is what like showing that vision of where we want to be. Here's the vulnerabilities of like where we're really struggling, but really have the opportunity. And here's where you can contribute. And I think that transparency and the meaning and the purpose behind the organization's work, I think like that clarity for individuals, for those employees is really important. Number two is, again, that leadership communication, that sense of purpose, that sense of meaning, how much my individual work will matter as a part of this bigger collective mission that we all have. That really matters. Number two is there are boundaries set. So for example, it's clear that the goal of my role, this is what I own, but there are boundaries in my schedule, holding meetings to a short amount of time, checking in, being human, but then also getting to what's the outcome of this meeting and keeping those meetings short and productive. And just having like internal communications and policies around virtual meetings, when you respond to emails. I think a lot of those, like that digital body language, my friend Erica Dewan wrote a book called Digital Body Language. There's a lot of like really getting clear on the policies. And so the healthiest companies I see, they're killing it. They are so productive and their people have a lot of work-life balance. Like they have those boundaries built into their schedules. And but yet there's also that collective mission and that energy and that inspiration. I always say it's like purpose inclusion or connection and well-being. We know you got to hit your productivity. We know you got to hit the ROI. We know you got to hit the KPIs. We know the data's got to get checked, right? That's like, we know that, but it's those human practices of elevating the purpose and the meaning of my individual contribution to that connection, that community, that inclusion, which creates belonging. I belong here. I care about the five people I work. Don't want my boss to be stressed out because he's not going to meet his quota. So I want to be highly communicative with him or her about where I'm at. And if I'm behind, and I feel safe to tell him that I'm behind because my kid is sick. And so that sense of inclusion and belonging is really important for that connection and community. And then well-being, like I'm able to actually not have imposter syndrome or have a mental health crisis or anti-anxiety medication because I'm just like quietly suffering in my job, which so many people are. Again, the Surgeon General shared the statistics. Those are just some of the, I think it's this human qualities of purpose, inclusion, connection, community, well-being, and really embedding those into not just the wording, but the practices. Claudia, leaders struggle with empathy and it is challenging for many leaders And it's just absolutely desperately needed in today's workforce as a leader into everything you just said to make all of this happen. How do we as leaders really work on that empathy muscle? And what does that look like? And how do we still get our jobs done? I was reading an article the other day and it said that there was a study done and that asked employees, would you rather have flexibility inside your schedule, inside your work schedule or five days, or would you rather have a four day week work week? 
And it was almost unanimous that they wanted flexibility in their schedule. And this is challenging for some leaders, especially the Gen Xers and baby boomers and us old folks. I can say that because I'm 55, but it can be challenging to have that empathy and say, yes, you can have this flexibility. How do we develop that muscle? Sure. So I think one of the things we were talking about earlier was what do leaders need to stop doing? Like this ties in with that, which is stop looking at your people. They're just pure productivity machines. Like they're just, they exist in your organization just to be, just to produce and seeing them for the wholeness of who they are, the whole person that they are. They could be their daughters, their sons, their parents, their sisters, brothers, wives, husbands, all that, right? Really reflecting on yourself. And that you are one of those things too. I think it's also connects to generational because if we look at, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm 48 this year and versus like boomers and Gen Xers, I feel like a lot of us are maybe older millennials, our strategy to success, which really very much also just comes from most people come from whether you're half German or Jewish or Chinese, or there's been some level of trauma in our our cultural backgrounds. And really, hey, we just lived through a pandemic, but like we come from colonists or like ancestors come from colonization and just so much depending on if European or American or whatever's in your background. And I think our generation was coming off of the world wars and like what generation were the parents that raised us? So we were, our nervous system, our sense of security and worthiness as individuals is so rooted in in our ability to be productive because productivity means safety. Productivity means security. And I think for a lot of leaders, it's about provision. It's about safety. It's about protecting those around us and providing for your family. And we've also culturally, we've had to go to Harvard or Yale or have all these accolades and all these internal wins in order to get those promotions. We are a society and a culture that's promoted based on merit I think that it's so wired into our systems that productivity equals success. And I think that, yeah, there's a little anxiety that can get attached to that and control. So I think empathy, first thing to think of is, and I think it's probably a cliche, think about the challenges that these very successful leaders have at home with maybe aging parents, with a spouse, with a teenager. And at the end of the day, every human being wants to be seen and heard. Mm. They want to feel worthy. They want to feel, and that's where the belonging, it's really just a human experience. Really, when we talk about empathy, like your people just want to feel like your employees or like the two people that work for you, if you're a manager, they want to feel valued. And because if they don't get that affirmation, they don't get that empathy. And depending on what their family of origin is and what their background is, your internal barriers, like mental health, imposter like you're actually creating invisible walls for your people. If you're only pulling them towards success through productivity and not through their humanity. I hope that makes sense. Wow, that's a quote right there. This, the millennials and Gen Zs, we hear it all the time and there's this that generational conflict. Oh, those millennials and the zillennials, I think they call them now. What do we need to do different or how do we need to look at these younger generations as an opportunity and how do we get them engaged and keep them in a place where they're growing and excelling and they stay with us, right? I think the average millennial maybe stays on the job less than two years. Yes. And we haven't even talked about Gen Z and this younger generation that are probably like our kids starting elementary school, but, and actually just to build off of that. So the last question that sometimes I can get really deep into thought. It's a culture. I'm like a culture person. Mm -hmm. I get into the layers, but I think the practical thing that people, that managers can do with empathy is 
Think of that person on your team as a family member and bring home your family experience. If you just got into a, a fight with your wife or your teenagers acting really, really resistant, they're not feeling they can be themselves in this moment, or they're not feeling hurt, or they're not feeling there's something there. Right? You've got to stop and pause and be like, no, even if I just want to be productive in this moment, I need to realize that this person is having a different human experience. They're clearly triggered. And how do I, instead of trying to change everybody else, how do I change myself? That's one of the top leadership qualities. It's like, I can't change other people and control them through command and control. Like that way, again, is fleeing. <laughs> We're seeing the retention challenges there, but it's really about how do I work on myself and be more empathetic? So again, using those family relationships, I always say, bring in Think of it as if this was my cousin or if this was my niece or thinking of it that way could be just a quick tool to help you with empathy. Moving on to the question about Gen Z and these younger generations, I forget about it. This is a generation where there's new research that shows they don't even want the pressure jobs. Like they see the burnout of their parents and they see they're reading the news and they're reading the mental health statistics. And I think in China, I mean, being Chinese, I know I have relatives and family in China where I'm hearing about how the culture of young people are just, they don't want big lives where they make huge salaries. <laughs> so <laughs> they want quality of life and well-being over that paycheck and this extravagant life that I guess maybe older generations were just trying to get to. Anyway, so I think that the key is, I think we need to just, again, create cultures that are really, that have a lot of human values and practices built into them. Young people care about meaning, purpose, well-being. They care about relationships and community. They care about, yeah, they care about diversity. They care about all of these issues. And I think also entrepreneurship, like really starting to invest in cultures and innovation teams, like innovation initiatives where there's opportunity to be entrepreneurial within your organization. I think that's another huge quality that the innovators, like I would say, when I advise and work with corporations, I'm like, you want to be the market leader. If you've got three big competitors, you want to be the leader. You want to be the company in your space next year, three competitors that has the best reviews on LinkedIn and all those job sites, Indeed, or whatever it is, or Fairy God Boss, which focuses just on women <laughs> in the workplace. But you want to have the best reviews on your culture. You want to have to show the most programs and initiatives. You want to be the leader, not the follower. And those companies are really going to be the ones that are ahead of the game in getting this the best talent and the most innovative young talent that's coming through. One more question. And our audience is made up of leaders from all different roles, levels, and some leaders that are listening that may not be able to really make a major impact in culture because the company may be too large. And then there could be leader who is at the helm that can make the change overnight. But let's say... Speak to the leader, speak to one person who is, let's say that person who is saying, gosh, what can I do from my seat? How can I cause change, create a team that is engaged? There's no quiet quitting here and there's obviously no quiet firing either. But what can I do as a leader to make sure that I'm the best leader for the next decade? There are, I would say to that leader, number one, you should assess your culture. That's the first thing, like really understand the state. And I know that a lot of HR divisions will send out like the company surveys and all of that, but really innovating those culture assessments and that surveying. And there's a great company actually here in Tampa Bay called Living HR. I'm close to their CEO, Carrie Bigelow. And it's incredible 
the work that they're doing and humanizing work and just really powerful culture tools that really give you a state of the union as to like, really, this is how your people are doing and feeling Mm -hmm. about and getting deep and wide in some of those invisible topics that are so easy to, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it gets ignored, right? Those invisible blind spots. Companies have so many blind spots. And again, you could be a financial firm that an asset management versus investment banking versus sales and trading are going to have very different cultures, depending on wireless, the sales division versus the engineering department versus it's going to be a very different kind of culture. And so really getting the lay of the land as to where you're at, even know the problems that what your blind spots are and where you need to, like, where are you doing well? Where are you not doing so well? And where you really need help. I think then it goes to your leadership and the people in that leadership. I always say that culture, you transform culture when you transform people, like people create culture. And oftentimes, even after COVID, people said to me, wow, do you, or like after George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter stuff, and people were like, do you really think that corporate America is going to change now? And I'll be like, tell me who the leaders are, and I'll tell you whether or not they're, they'll change. It's very much around, again, those leaders at the top, like who you are as a leader. A, do you need to do some work? Do you need to do some personal like growth and leadership development and reflection on the kind? Are you at the level of the leader of the whole leader you want to be to create the future? The future belongs to those with the courage to create it. One of my favorite quotes, the future Mm. belongs to those with the courage to create it. And I often say culture innovation starts with courageous self-development. At the end of the day, like it's hard to change people, but we can change ourselves. We can always get better, right? There's no such thing as how, how do I need to grow and how do I need to expand? So even working with really trusted organizations or coaches to help you to come in and support you if it's not currently internal. I would say you definitely bring in somebody externally because you also want somebody with that, like that specializes in this work, but then also bring in that other right hand internally. And that could be your SVP of sales. That could be your CHRO. That could be your, maybe it's your chief of staff who you just know has the character. It's not just about the skills and the ability. It's about the character. It's about who they are. I would say like your schedule is less about what you get done, but who you want to become. And so it's getting the right people with the right character and the right, the humanity to really care, to almost prioritize in a way the people over the productivity for a moment. But that's the work that we've always done the opposite. And we just almost need to do that for a moment to actually recalibrate the culture. So I think it's one, the success for culture with the right resource. Two is making sure that you have the right, I think, an internal and external advisors. Start building your internal think tank and brain trust and leadership team to really start this journey. And then knowing that we've got top down and bottom up problems to solve. And that could also be cross-functional too. It is definitely designing, going on a journey of culture innovation. I like the word innovation over culture change. It's more positive. And I do think that like diversity inclusion, women in many ways, dominant groups of leadership in a way have been defensive. Like the dominant cultures, wait a second. No, they're just trying to do the best they can coming from what where they came from. And but it's more okay, forget about who's more valuable than who. It's more about how do we the world and your customers are made up of diversity of culture, experiences, everything. And so you're going to be more successful into the future if you create a business and a culture and products and that support that diversity. You need to have that diversity in your leadership to do that. It's really about innovation. It's really about, I like to motivate leaders, not by, oh, you got this problem and you got to fix it and unconscious bias. But yeah, no, it's more about like, how do you actually be the best and make real impact going forward? That is what I would start saying to that leader. 
Claudia, this has been fantastic. And this is one of my favorite subjects. I've taken so many notes. And tell me, how do you work with companies? What services do you offer? I love coaches. I have coaches for broad staff, for all of our leaders, outside coaching. I was an executive and life coach for many years. I am so all about hiring outside coaches and consultants. But tell me, how do you work? So I do basically two core things. I go inside organizations or go to conferences and I either bring my keynotes or workshops. It's different also when you're keynoting a large group versus workshopping a smaller group, right? If you're workshopping smaller groups, you're able to really create some of that reflection and connection on a deeper level. I go inside and speak at these companies. And then I also do coaching and advising because it's part of it is coaching in the sense that Again, that self-reflection piece, that that development piece. But it, and it's also when I think about a coach, I think I was saying elevate your vision, elevate your mind, getting you thinking about the highest vision of the kind of leader you can be and where you can take your organization. Because oftentimes we don't even have the time to vision. We're so busy producing and being in productivity that we don't even, we don't like really inspire visioning as well. And like impossible creation thinking, possibility creation thinking. The coaching piece is about that, but it's also advisory because there's just some real practices that some of the best companies are doing right now that I have perspective on. Really those two core things. So how can we contact you? You can just go to claudiachan.com. That's my website. It explains, gives you more of an overview about me and just, yeah, contact me there. There's a form that you can fill out. I also have a book as this is how we rise. We talked to you, you said like many of the leaders maybe, or many managers or folks that listen to this podcast might not have the influence, but in my book, this is how we rise, which is all about leading from where you are and that you have influence and you don't have to have a huge talent. You can be an assistant and have, you can be an intern and have influence. And I think that sometimes things that people higher up can't see, it's just a question of, how are you going to see, how do you lead change from where you are? This is how we rise is a great book for that and unlocking that corporate change agent inside of you. <laughs> and then the other, I have a podcast too, that's got some episodes. So Claudia Chan podcast, Spotify, Apple. Yeah. ClaudiaChan.com. And I'm on social as well. I'm on LinkedIn. Wonderful, Claudia. I am so glad that you are my neighbor here in Tampa because we're going to have fun. We're going to change the world together. Yeah. I, I so thank you for being on the show today. This has been wonderful. Thank you. And Kara, I just want to say, I want to commend you for your leadership too. It's just extraordinary what you have Thank built. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.